All right, here, get ready. Get ready, another uh, episode of the uh, Let's Go Eat show. Uh, got, got together with a just a lovely woman, uh, Lindsay Hansen Park, uh, at the uh, Stanza restaurant here in Salt Lake. Uh, we're still sitting here at the table. Lindsay had to go pick up her kids. Uh, it's 454 East, 300 South. Um, Stanza is the name of the place. Uh, used to be Faustina, you might remember that. Now Stanza. And I, I, the remodel has been done for over a year, I think, but it, my God, it's beautiful in here. So here we're sitting here, we've had lunch, uh, we've done the interview with Lindsay, and that'll be coming up in just a second. Um, we get into some pretty weighty topics uh, over lunch with Lindsay Hanson Park. We do. We get deep into Mormon theology. Mormon theology and history, history and uh, feminism, which I, you know, personally, I think is fascinating. Uh, and it's interesting... Uh, you know, you think Mormon and you think intellectual, and you think, well, those things go together. Well, yeah, they do. And Lindsay is certainly one of those. And, of course, she would be the first to say she stands on the back of of other great Mormon thinkers and people who, who really think deeply about the religion and the history of the religion and uh, and try to come to terms with some of the controversial aspects of it. Now we'll get into it and talk about Mormon feminism, uh, we'll talk about uh, polygamy, uh, and we'll talk uh, about the history of the church uh, with Lindsay Hansen. Those are, we should, because I hate that. Thing. Are they really expensive to yeah. get a Do you want to take a guess one? at how much that little blue? Well, this one is not, that was not, isn't that expensive if you got one of these, is it? I'll tell you how much it is, but Kay. guess. Fifty. Fifty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lindsay Hanson Park says fifty. I would say uh, now you're saying well, it's, I, though I can see by the way you're uh, one hundred twenty dollars. Two hundred and fifty dollars. Oh, That's okay. too much to buy because this that is a piece thing. Really? Because this is because it's a piece of crap. <laughs> it is, but I don't think uh, it's a piece of crap originally. I think we've just taken it for so many years now and true packed it around to so many restaurants that we've turned it. It's literally taped together. And you know, we bought it. I bought it for. Well, the whole uh, microphones. We're still using most a lot of that original stuff, right? Mm-hmm. For three hundred bucks, from a guy who tried to start a podcast and then went, oh, "I don't, I'm, <laughs> it's too I'm much not, work. I don't, you want to buy my stuff? I'll give it to you all for three hundred dollars." Yeah, like a mixing board which we don't you use. You just anymore. need to find more people with broken dreams to get their their stuff from. <laughs> I think. <laughs> You really are a smart-ass, aren't you? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> uh, Lindsay Hanson Park, uh, the Let's Go Eat Show. We're at Stanza Restaurant uh, here on uh, Broadway, 3rd South. And uh, I don't know what the exact address is here. Does it say, Dylan? On the, uh, no. Uh, b- between uh, fi- 5th, 4th and 5th South. And a great place, and we'll talk more about that later. But our guest on the show today is Lindsay Hanson Park, and she is uh, the newly promoted director of the Sunstone Institute. She is a blogger for feministmormonhousewives.org. I didn't put the dot there, but I just thought it was org. Uh, Also, she has uh, been doing a uh, a podcast called A Year of Polygamy. Yes. Which has gotten um, a lot controversy and critical, nice critical notices. And also she is uh, responsible, uh, I don't know, wholly or in part for a website called Life in the Crick. Um, Is that part of? That is not. So we have a foundation called the Fern Foundation. And one of the Fern Foundation, it's my hobby where we go and assist uh, 
people living in plural families. But Life in the Kirk is a friend of mine who runs that blog. Oh, it's really pretty. I mean, yeah. the uh, just the pictures on it and the basic setup of that. And, and yeah. they're... Uh, so look, go look for life in the Crick if you're interested in in the polygamist uh, communities of uh, Hilldale and um, Colorado City. Short Crick, as it used to be. Short Crick, yeah. yeah. That's what we call it, the Crick. Yeah, life in the Crick. So Lindsay Hanson Park, I don't know exactly where to start with you. You you do a lot of stuff, uh, mm-hmm. and you're and you're a mom, mm-hmm. and you go to church, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know you're you're a busy person. Maybe we start with the sunstone. Should we, should we okay, talk about yeah. that? Sunstone. So, who people, a lot of people don't know what that is. So sunstone's been around for about 40 years, a little over 40 years. And it started out as a place where any Latter-day Saint that wanted to talk about the deeper doctrines of the church or, you know, the academic discussions that you couldn't have in Sunday school could talk. So it became really big. It was really the only forum that I know of at the time where people could get together. They would have conferences and they had sort of this... It was almost, I want to say an underground mag, but that's not exactly it. Because it wasn't underground. It was considered, you know, maybe the smartest people in your ward would subscribe to it. So people talked about it, talked about stuff, um, things that maybe became a little taboo, like Heavenly Mother, which we don't talk about in the LDS Church and Mm -hmm. things like that. As it went on, um, as the church opened up their archives and public history started coming out, Historians were writing about it and talking about it at Sunstone, and it made some of the brethren at the LDS Church, the leadership, uncomfortable because it was new information. Mm-hmm. And they asked them to stop publishing it, stop writing about it, stop talking about stop it. Stop publishing the Sunstone. Stop writing um, articles for Sunstone. Stop stop writing the history. I mean, there's, I'm being really well, reductive. Well, if, if you are, if you, so, I, I mean, I heard about it years ago, and, and I always thought of it as, so it was, it was Mormon uh, a Latter-day Saint, uh, inter- intellectuals, but it was also, even b- as early days, kind of considered, you don't, you don't really want to do that. So we had, kind of I taboo. mean, one of the current apostles, Delaney Jokes, he was um, involved in this community. He wrote for Dialogue. He was on the board of Dialogue, sorry, which was an academic journal. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't seen as taboo early on until th- a few things happened. So in the late 70s, a lot of people started looking at this history that was now being opened up and converting to fundamentalism, which we'll talk about, and having their own firesides. And this is where we have the Dream Mine and uh, the LeBarons and all those murderous cults yeah. that start. Mm-hmm. And we also have uh, historians publishing history that the church is uncomfortable with. So th- those two things happen, and the church puts out a statement in the 80s saying, do not attend any symposia. They don't say, say Sunstone in particular. But that's a symposia. So. Exactly. So... <laughs> Overnight, they say, I mean, this is way before my time, overnight, they go from like 2,000 people coming to like 200, and they thought they were going to die. But Bishop, I'm a psychiatrist, and we go to symposium all the time for psychiatric. (laughs) Well, that's okay. So what's ironic now is as they've done that, and Sunstone became the whipping boy for that, well, Mm. then the church came up with a symposia, and BYU came up with a symposia, and Mm. now there's all these academic symposias that popped up in the place of it. So, um, and then in the 90s, a bunch of Mormon intellectuals were excommunicated. We call them the September 6th. Uh, Mike Quinn for writing about right. church history. Levina Fielding Anderson for chronicling sex abuse from clergy in the LDS church. Things like that. And so they're excommunicated. So then Sensome becomes like this really angry place where people are feeling censored. And I think this is where it gets the reputation for being fringe. 
because it was really angry and understandably so. That was in the 70s. That was in the 90s. Ni- oh, in the 90s. Okay. Yeah. And so um, when I took it over, it's been four years ago, I was asked to, I guess all the people that were coming, it's a really important community to a lot of people. Um, they were sort of aging out. And so they wanted me to bring new life back to it. So we have. And, and when I got the job, people were saying, oh, something's too critical of the church. Uh, people won't present there anymore that are faithful. And so for a long time, I was like, oh, that's easy. We'll just invite faithful people to speak at Sunstone. Sure, that'll cure it. <laughs> that'll <laughs> fix it. And I learned really quick that institutions had long become dependent on Sunstone being fringe. So everyone sort of boundary polices themselves and says, well, we're not Sunstone. Um, we, we might be fringy, but we're not Sunstone. And then, you know, uh, people are dependent on us being fringe. And so I thought this is kind of toxic this is what's happening in our lds community right now if someone goes through a faith crisis or if they want to talk about an issue at church they're marginalized because it's it's too taboo and for me my faith is so open uh, there's nothing what does that mean just um and we'll talk about this with the work that i do with polygamous um i just realized mormonism is so much bigger than what i thought it was it's so broad there are taboo things talking about it is par- not talking about it is part of the reason why we have the issues we have with Warren Jeffs and Short Crick, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, and so I just I don't play those games. I feel like this in the Internet age, especially younger generations, if you talk to Mormons at BYU, they don't have time for this nonsense of it's too taboo, yeah. it's too faithful. And so at Sunstone, we've just sort of pivoted and we said, listen, we're going to have interesting conversations about Mormonism. You don't have to believe. Mm-hmm. You can believe. You can be a non-Mormon. As long as you can come be respectful of other people's beliefs, you're welcome to come. Are there uh, uh, so the the uh, the six that were uh, controversial people that were mm-hmm. excommunicated? Uh, did any of those people go back to the church? By the way, yeah, um, uh, two of them did. Maxine Hanks, who was excommunicated for writing about women in the priesthood and Heavenly Mother, she was rebaptized about five years ago, mm-hmm. and she had to get special permission from the the Quorum of the Twelve to do that. And then uh, Levani Fielding Anderson, who was excommunicated. She was the one that chronicled all the cases of clergy abuse, bishops, uh-huh. and state presidents. Um, she has not been re-baptized, but she still attends every single week. Doesn't take the sacrament. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of something yeah. that she does. Uh, so the so Sunstone um, uh, talks about a lot of things that were hush hush in, mm-hmm. in 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 the Mormon Church, and and the and the elders of the church really didn't want people talking right. about it. Right. It's stuff that they that they knew, but they didn't want the the general membership. And let's talk about what a couple of those things might have been. Yeah, I had a I had a really intelligent Mormon scholar say to me, he was kind of scoffing and saying, "Well, I'm interested in legitimate Mormon experiences." And Sunstone doesn't talk about legitimate Mormon experiences. And I said, "Well, what does that mean? We talk about things that are not talked about in church." Oh, we got some food here uh, at Stanza. What did you order, Lindsay? Uh, linguini. It's Lovely. Diavolo. Is that how you say it? Diavolo. Diavolo. As a, which means uh, spice, the devil. No? Yeah, it's some the devil. Some sort of spicy pasta. Yeah. It looks yeah, amazing. Yeah. It's supposed to be hot, like the devil. Yeah, uh, yes, please, pepper. Uh, and uh, I'm having a Caesar salad and a sandwich coming up. Looks amazing, too. Oh, oh that's the sandwich, isn't it? Yes. It's lovely. I like that. Uh, thank you very much. But, no, it's just... Um, we talk about Mormons who are transgendered. We talk about uh, the LGBT policy. We talk about Heavenly Mother. We talk about polygamists. 
I mean, anything that is Mormon, we talk about. And so, I mean, this our big symposium is in the summer at the University of Utah, and we have over 150 presentations every year. So you have to think of how many different topics. There's a, there's a subject this year about Joseph Smith doing psychedelics. There's some academic research to suggest that, that he might have. That he might have. Yeah, and it's, and it's not... Um, that might be salacious to some people, but there is actual academic um, research that has some historical documentation on this, and so people explore it. You know, so so uh, how does the uh, LDS Church look at Sunstone, of which you are now the executive director? And Sunstone, if you want to find out more about that, it's uh, Sunstone. What's the website? Sunstone.org. And then uh, you still put out the uh, quarterly magazine. Yep. We have our quarterly yeah. magazine where we discuss these issues. I think the LDS church um, is still in that, that mindset where they wish that we weren't there. But the problem is their attitude kind of makes it easier for us to do our job. I mean, when you tell people not to do something, people want to do it even more. And And especially since we have this ability to talk about all of these things that they don't, we have, an, we have a sort of power and advantage that they don't have. There are people, uh, there are a lot of people, like-minded people in the Sunstone group, uh, people like you, who are not afraid to look at these issues, and they maintain their membership in the LDS Church. I guess my question always has been, and I know some of these, some of the issues you're talking about, you know, people get very uncomfortable with the fact that Joseph Smith had a what a thirteen-year-old girl as a, or however old she was as a fourteen, yeah, fourteen as a as a wife. It, it turns out something that nobody ever wanted to talk about, but then it's finally comes out. You know, things like that. I wonder how, how difficult it is to maintain your faith in a in a religion that uh, has suppressed that kind of stuff and has those kinds of foundations. Well, a lot of people don't, and that's the problem. But I'll tell you what is not working. And I've been in the the faith transition community for a decade now. When someone finds out this information for the first time, they usually go to their family members or their bishop, and what they traditionally hear is, that's not true, or stop talking about this. And I'm telling you, that is the least effective way to help someone maintain their faith. If you can be surrounded by people who say, yeah, that's terrible, let's talk about it, let's let's get through it, um, the research and our experience has shown that that helps people maintain their identity and their faith. But, of course, it shifts. But it has to shift. And um, we can play this game where we pretend it's not happening. We can pretend that Joseph Smith didn't marry a 14-year-old girl. And there are certainly people that um, hold that idea. But that doesn't make it true, not true, you know. Yeah. And so that is our policy at Sunstone is, like, let's just talk about it. And it's not a place to beat up the church. It's not a place to try to save people's faith we're, we're getting away from that we're just saying if you can come talk about hard things and do it respectfully we want you we want you with us i think the lds church and the leadership has uh, and uh, this is this is my opinion maybe you'll tell me i'm up in the night about this but it seems to me they've wised up quite a bit however in that uh church historians and have started releasing some of this stuff from the archives They're, they've been started releasing it themselves yeah. And, and saying, no, it's true. This is this is the truth of it. And and if you want to access the information, we'll let, help you access it. And they've started to sort of do yeah. what is that? And it's, that's a smart thing, I, I think. think so. <clears throat> At the same time, kind of obviously from watching from the outside, they seem to be um, also getting a little bit more strict. 
So they're kind of admitting to like, yeah, this stuff happened. But like, I'm speaking primarily of like the the gay parents rule and stuff that's recently happened. Yeah, it's it's so hard because they're in such a bad spot. Actually, I have a lot of sympathy for for them because if you know the history of the the church and how the history sort of gets buried. I mean, a lot of ex-Mormons will say I was lied to by the history and they certainly feel that way and they certainly experience it that way. But if you know the history of why the brethren did this, especially with plural marriage, as the church has to move away from that doctrine, they have to sort of erase is kind of a strong word, but erase the doctrines that would promote polygamy because Mormonism was really based around polygamy. And so they make it less accessible and they do things like that. Well, it's coming back in the in the internet age, and people can find out this stuff. So people feel betrayed, and I think, the, you know, the people in the church history department are amazing people. They're they are doing good work. Um, it's not fast enough for a lot of people. It's not good enough for a lot of people. But you know, I know them, and I know that they're honest people, and they're trying. The brethren respond differently depending on it. Um, some of them, I think, probably believe that maintaining and hiding and not focusing on these things is a good solution and some are trying to be more transparent do you ever fear that they're gonna come after i mean that you're gonna get on the wrong side of the church that you'll get excommunicated yeah if they told you to stop would you stop no um i mean i you know we've had john delin on here and some other people who have have come up against that decision yeah a lot of my friends have been excommunicated for this I think John. I was. I like John, and he's a sm- really intelligent guy. I also have the feeling that at some point he just said, "Okay, bring it on." Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, he ch- and he you, did. And yeah. you challenge him to do it; they're probably going to do it. I don't. I don't really have an interest in doing that. I mean, I like to say that it wouldn't bother me, but the truth is, this is a big deal in the Mormon community. And and if anything, it would hurt my family more than it would hurt any. My family is sort of used to me being on the news now, and this rabble rouser and it's difficult for them so i worry about that but um me personally now that i know that mormonism is bigger than the lds church i i don't really rely on the brethren to tell me about my identity i don't believe that the movement belongs to them i don't believe that mormonism belongs to them and this confuses a lot of lds people when i'm saying mormons but not lds and they're like what do you mean that confuses me when you just said it yeah so uh, we can talk about that but doing the history of the podcast do you want to talk about the podcast? Yeah, I, I, I want to know where should we start well, let's with, with feminism okay. or uh, polygamy and then how, because it's it, it all sure. has to tie up together. But you want to take a break? Yeah, so we're we going to just take that. a break and we'll be back in a minute. Okay. Hi, I'm JD. I'm Peterson. This is Spencer. And we're the 3-Bit Gamer Show where we fight about video games. No, we don't. Yeah, we really do. Ugh. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at 3-Bit Gamer Show. Pants are optional. I always liked uh, um, I Stand All Amazed. That's a good one, too. I really like that one. And I always liked, for some reason, there's one, and I don't think it's specifically a Mormon hymn, but it's in the book. There is a green hill far away. You've got a good memory. Do you still know the words to those? There is a green hill far away without a city wall. Where... Our dear Lord was crucified. He died to save us all. Look at that. Right? Look at that. And, but I don't think that's... Once a, a Mormon, always a Mormon, Bill. Now, I, I have no other culture to cling to. <laughs> you know, 
I mean, really, I, I, I don't. There's I don't, nowhere else to go. Yeah, I'm not Italian. That's I don't, good. I don't we'll have, claim you. You know, I'm just a, I'm just a white guy, so I might as well be a Mormon. And you're an Allred. We were just talking about yeah. this. Allred's a Mormon name. So. Yeah, and there's there's polygamy on both sides of my family: the Allred side and the wheel wheelwright side. Um, so it, let's talk about feminism in the Mormon Church, because okay. you also uh, run um, feminist. Uh, Mormon feminist 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 Mormon housewives dot org and it's a blog site and um, you've done podcasts and I actually found them through you guys through X ninety six radio from hell it was almost ten years ago they had just started and you had a blogger named Teresa come on the podcast and I remember I was camping with my family and we drove down the mountain to get some supplies and I heard her on there and I couldn't turn it off and I was like wait wait, wait stop the car and she was hmm. talking. On your show years and years and years ago. And her name was Teresa, and she was talking Teresa about... Edmonds. About oh. the blog. Mm-hmm. Huh, I, don't, I don't recall. Uh, so uh, let's talk about feminism in the LDS church. Uh, you, know, you know, it's maybe become easier to be a feminist in the LDS church, but boy, it was hard a long time ago, wasn't it? So there's always been feminists in the LDS church. Um, the Mormon movement, the Relief Society, started as a way to prosecute, or sorry, to root out polygamy. Now, what Emma Smith didn't know was that her husband was practicing it with her counselors, but she really used it as a platform to um, root out polygamy. That's the early process of that. And that was a common thing with women's organizations. They had virtue societies and ladies' societies. And so it starts that way. Brigham Young, when he takes over, gets rid of the Ruth Society for about 20 years. He says, you know, when I want the women to get up and organize a meeting, I will call for them. And so in the meantime, women find ways to resist um, having that lack of power, and they wrote what's called the Women's Exponent. And Brigham really needed the women to become activists for the vote for Utah. So they tried to get the vote for Utah, and because they were polygamous, um, a lot of people don't know this, but polygamy is the reason why women got the right to vote in America. Yeah. So the U.S. government thought if we can give Mormon women the right to vote, they'll vote against polygamy. And uh, they were wrong. They gave us the vote. Mm-hmm. And Mormon women didn't vote the way that they wanted, so they took the vote away. Mm-hmm. And uh, they gave it back to Wyoming a couple of years later, and Utah became the second, I think, the second state to get the vote. So, But those women were, if you read their stuff, they were early first-wave feminist activists. They were talking about women's rights and autonomy and the vote and suffrage. And, and uh, they did it very faithfully. They had marches and they met at the Capitol and protested and things like that and going to Washington DC and then um correlation happens in the church where they try to make everything into manuals and um pr- printed materials and get everyone on the same lesson page plans. lesson plans and I can see from an organizational standpoint why that would be helpful but they get rid of the women's magazine and um turn it into a Relief Society magazine that's correlated under the brethren and so we sort of see this movement die down. Uh, of course, it corresponds with other American activities like World War II and, you know, women's roles are changing. Mm-hmm. But in the 70s, it, it sort of mirrors the feminist movement. It, it, there's a resurgence, and a lot of Mormon women started Mormons for ERA. And that was an equal rights amendment. Mm-hmm. Sonia Johnson is a famous woman who, Mormon woman who was really advocating to get that passed. And it's it's like two sentences long that basically says... You know, women's should be protected as equal citizens under the law. Very simple. Mm-hmm. The church, the LDS church, starts a campaign saying, if we allow that to happen, then women might, men might use women's restrooms and vice versa. Can you believe <laughs> it? 
and um, they actually create a counter organization um, and ask women to vote against the ERA. They actually ask women to do that, and they end up excommunicating Sonia Johnson in the 70s. So she was the first feminist that was excommunicated for feminism, mm-hmm. and she kind of started this following this movement. And then uh, the 80s and 90s, we have women writing about priesthood, and when you know they find out that early pioneer women were blessing each other and um, doing these rituals and all of these things that women aren't allowed to do now in the church. They started writing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Heavenly Mother, that was another thing. So then those women got excommunicated in the 90s. There was a big purge at BYU for professors that talked about feminism. The church was just really, I think, threatened by the idea. Got to root it out. Got to root it out. It, and, of course, we know that that never works, right? It just it just sort of mm-hmm. either drives things underground or um, inflames people even more. And makes them resentful. It, may, it makes them resentful and angry. Mm-hmm. And um, what happens is in the early 2000s, Lisa Butterworth starts. Uh, she's a Democrat. She doesn't know what a feminist is, but she thinks the two are the same. So she's tired of being a Democrat and uh, being criticized for that. So she starts the blog Feminist Mormon Housewives and along the way learns what a feminist is, as did we all. So we sort of gather the Exponent um, magazine that was the early magazine. Um, the Exponent? Yeah, that was the early one that the Pioneer Women wrote okay. in the 70s. Um, and few, is it still, you find there are still copies? And, yeah, yeah, BYU you, has them all on mm-hmm. archives, so you can mm-hmm. go look at them right now online. Okay. But in the 70s, um, a bunch of women, including Judith Dusk, Judith Dushku, who's Eliza Dushku's mom, you might know oh, really? her. Yeah, she, um, a bunch of women in Boston started the Exponent 2. And so they've been doing that since the 70s. So that it's kind of never went away. Mm-hmm. Women have sort of kept it alive. And so they're still out there blogging and writing about women's issues. And then, of course, we had the Ordained Women movement that happened a few years ago with my Kate, friend Kate. Kate Kelly uh-huh. and, um, and now she's, she's Deborah. Uh, yeah. Deborah uh, Jensen, I yeah. think, uh, who's uh, been a long time a uh, fan of the Radio from Hell show, and she's just a wonderful. I guess yeah. it's Doctor Deborah Jensen now, it is. isn't it? Yeah, it is. Doctor Professor Doctor Deborah Jensen, uh, just a terrific. I have the privilege be, of just hanging out with all these ladies all the she time. She couldn't be a more incredible person, I think. Just you know, the feminist movement is so full of so many wonderful women um, that you know many of us feel like if they were incorporated into the church more who knows what would happen because these women as you know are so talented and so smart and so gifted and energetic and willing to serve and there's just not a lot of, a lot of avenues for women to do that so, so can I can I go back I just want to I, I want to talk about you okay a little bit what well I was just about to do that <laughs> I was just about to say, just about to ask what what was your awakening, or uh, that you decided you wanted to be a feminist, or or have you always felt that? Is that what you were going to ask? Kind of, yeah. What, what? How did you come to that? So I never. I mean, feminism wasn't a bad word for me. I never saw it as incompatible with the church. Um, it was kind of this. And I grew up with a lot of boys in the neighborhood, so I had to sort of hold my own with boys. So to me, that was that was what feminism was was. You know, I can play soccer with you guys, too. Mm-hmm. And so um, my issue was I had to choose when I got married between two boys, a missionary that I was waiting for and the man who's now my husband. And it was really painful and it was very immature. But at the time, there's so much pressure to get married. No one ever said, hey, you don't have to get married at all. I just felt like I had to How choose. How old were you? I was 19. When I too got young. Mm-hmm. too young, mm-hmm. um, it was really, really painful for me, really confusing, and I resented it. The minute I got married, I just I remember feeling like this is so unfair. 
I am in love with two people. I thought the minute I thought that if I got married in the temple that it would go away and it would all be fixed. And now I find myself as a married woman thinking about another man, feeling like it's sinful. Um, I prayed for like six years for that to go away and it didn't. I, and I just thought I was a sinner. And I just remember acutely feeling like this is so unfair because if men have this feeling of being attracted to two women or in love with two women, they'll get to, they don't have to choose in heaven. They get to be with more than one woman. Oh, I, oh, I see. This is where, because there, I mean, there are certainly social mores that you don't want to be doing that, but you're talking about the afterlife. Yeah. So in LDS, um, in the LDS context now, we don't practice polygamy, but many of us believe that we will practice it in the next life, certainly in the celestial kingdom, the highest level of heaven. And so I just remember thinking, wow, they get to have a reason to do that, but I'm a sinner for having these feelings. And it just felt deeply unfair and it sort of festered. And it wasn't until I was 25 that I learned Joseph Smith was a polygamist. I had no idea. Um, I knew Brigham Young was, it was Mm -hmm. sort of this quirky thing. Yeah. And I just became really angry about it. I think just, um, I didn't know these women's names. It bothered me that I didn't know their names. And at the same time, I find this blog that had only been around a few years through the radio show. And they asked me to start blogging for him. And so I started doing the history of the wives of Joseph Smith. I wanted their names out there. I, I chose Todd Compton's book, In Sacred Loneliness, where he had done the historical research to find their names and their stories. And we just tried to make it more accessible. And that sort of led me into this path of exploring polygamy. Doesn't that still, though, rankle you that in the afterlife, in the celestial kingdom, uh, y- y- your husband who you are sealed to, <clears throat> it'll be okay for him to have a bunch of other wives, but it's still pretty much not okay for you if you want to, uh, I hate to use the term hook up <laughs> yeah. in, the, in, the, in the celestial kingdom, but uh, if, you're, if you're a missionary uh, boy, if you had still had feelings for him, you couldn't really, right. you couldn't hook, you can't do that. Yeah, I mean, that was painful. I, I dealt with that one for years and years and years. It was so deeply painful. But this process of me exploring polygamy is really me chasing my own demons. And I think it's, in a way, if I'm being intellectually honest, it's me trying to save 17-year-old, 18-year-old, 19-year-old Lindsay. And so I feel a lot more at peace about it now. And certainly what I believe is polygamy is not a principle of God. And if it is, no thank you, God. Like, hell sounds a lot better. And I think a lot of Mormon women come to that conclusion that I'd rather be in hell than in heaven because heaven doesn't sound like heaven to us. And Carolyn Pearson actually wrote a book with my help on um, specifically on LDS women and their feelings towards this idea of polygamy in the afterlife. And she interviewed one woman who was a good, faithful Latter-day Saint. And she would uh, make sure that every day she stole something or swore a little bit so she didn't have to make it into the celestial kingdom. She just wanted to be in the next level Yeah, down. she didn't want to live the principle of plural marriage. The and principle. The principle is what we call it. So, uh, yeah, I think that it's it's something that we don't talk about. And, it causes and, a lot of and, pain. And have you, I mean, you say I, I've spent all this time coming to terms with it, but have you really come to terms with it? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you can ever come to terms with that. I, there's a part of me that feels like something's been stolen from me forever. And my husband and I have certainly, it's shifted our relationship. You know, we we sold our wedding rings. I, uh, we've talked about divorce, all, all these kind of things, because I don't, I hear stories now of women losing their autonomy over and over and over to this Mormon marriage system. 
And it's very difficult for me to know that I said the exact same vows that Warren Jeffs says to his brides, you know, mm-hmm. the exact same wording. And so it's been, it's still a process for me and I'm giving myself permission to not land somewhere, but I'm certainly, when I talk about it, it's detached now. I don't feel the, the yeah. pain for myself that I used to, if that makes sense. Um, I met your husband too, by the way. He seems like a terrific guy. Just, mm-hmm. to, just and this, as a side note, yeah, <laughs> really. He and he obviously adores Poor you. man. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's just got saddled with this mess. So that's his only problem. Uh, uh, so, uh, so uh, let's talk. So this leads. We're talking about polygamy now, and it goes hand in hand. Some with this with feminism, um, and ha- I guess Mormon women have had to always try to resolve. Mm-hmm. Um, these feelings of well, I, I most of them. I think most of them would say I don't like this. Yeah. When polygamy was a, te- a, a tenant of the Mormon Church here in Utah, I don't like this. Yeah. But it's, that's I'm told that this is what we have to do. Yeah, we actually have a whole theology built around it. The harder it is, the more holy it is. So uh, it's this idea of eternal sacrifice. Yeah. Now, particularly for women. Particularly for women. Now, I will say that. It, it is a lopsided discourse. It disproportionately affects women, of course. But polygamy is not easy for men. So, And we can talk about that if you want to, too. It's, it cuts men off from emotional intimacy. It makes their lives very difficult. Um, a lot of polygamous men can be depressed would, because of it. I wouldn't want to do it. I just no way. Yeah. It's, it, uh, it certainly robs people of deep personal connections in some cases. Now, in other cases, that's, that's not true, which we can talk about. But uh, it's been hard for women, and that was the hardest part. So I decided to do this podcast, Year of Polygamy, where we it was intentionally going to be a year where we explore the history of plural marriage from the beginning until now. Mm-hmm. And at the very beginning, I have this, like, naive thing where I'm like, hey, guys, like, if we just get through, I know this is mm-hmm. hard, but we're going to get through it. And um, halfway through it, I'm reading these diaries of women in the frontier who I thought, like, you know, you're reading their public discourses where they're fighting for the right to practice plural marriage. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, as a feminist, we need to respect their opinions. And then I start reading their diaries. So Martha, Hugh Can- Martha Hughes Cannon, um, who becomes the first senator, female senator in the United States and in Utah, wins against her own husband. She is this badass well, woman. I didn't know that. I yeah. knew she, I didn't know she ran against Yeah, she her. ran against her own husband. She's amazing. Um <laughs> Angus Cannon, she she was fantastic, and Emmeline Wells, who was this activist and really society president. And so their their diaries show, show what what size? Their diaries show how much it broke their hearts. I mean, I remember one letter in particular, Martha Hughes Cannon. She's writing to her husband. She sees him on the carriage out in the street with another wife, and she, and she writes it. And this is this is different for Victorian letters. You don't see this kind of emotion. And she says, "How do you think I feel?" Every time I see you out with her, how do you think I feel? I love you. And you can just see, like, she's just torn up about it, and she leaves. And I just thought, what have I done with this <laughs> podcast? I thought, I thought it was going to be okay, and it's not okay. Um, it's not okay. And there's, you can't make it okay. But you are, you are not necessarily against polygamy, although. No, no and that's the other thing I've learned. Um, I certainly hated the idea. It, and, and this is what I tell my fundamentalist friends. LDS women are in a bad spot because we're taught that it's weird or wicked or something they used to do. But, you know, the weirdos do it down in Short Creek now and we don't. But we get to live it in heaven. That does a really weird thing with your brain, right? To yeah. hate it now and to accept it later. Yeah. Um, 
as I go on in the history, I start getting into contemporary stuff, and it's a lot harder to talk about living people than it is to talk about dead people because they talk back, and they contact you, and they have things to say. And I got to know modern-day polygamists, and it's really complicated my narrative. They, uh, so there are lots of polygamists uh-huh. in, in this valley now and down. Actually, fewer now than there used to be down in um, uh, uh, Colorado City and Hilldale, right? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that, the, that modern, the modern polygamy, if you will. Okay. Well, uh, uh, the, the most prominent one we think of is FLDS, but there are other factions. Uh, yeah. There's the... Uh, uh, what's the family up in uh, Bountiful, North Salt Lake? Uh, the Davis County Co-op, the Kingstons. Yeah, the Kingstons. And uh, I remember there used to be, and I don't know if they're still up in Weber County, the, this uh, polygamous cult, I'll say, of uh, their gardeners and uh, landscapers, and I forget the name of them. So there's uh, historian Steve Shields, who comes from the RLDS, Community of Christ tradition. Um, he estimates that there are over 400 extant groups in Mormonism. So... Yeah, and I mean, when I try to count them all, I just mm-hmm. can't. I, there, there are so many. So the, I'm just going to give you like the quick and dirty history. So the church officially abandons practice in 1890 because they want the vote. Um, and so what we don't realize is there's all these families that still were polygamous. What do we do with those? Yeah. So a lot of them gather in what we now know as Short Creek. They still live it. Uh, of course, Wilford Woodruff, who banned the practice, is still marrying women polygamously. Uh, his apostles are up until 1925, and the manifesto is in 1890, so it's super messy. Um, and dishonest. And dishonest. And we have this tradition with plural marriage as Joseph Smith and Emma Smith. Like we talked about, Emma Smith is fighting against polygamy while her first counselors, her best friends, are married to her husband. We have this thing of telling the public one thing and doing something else, and we call it sacred and secret. And a lot of LDS listeners might bristle to that, but, I mean, I would just point to the history. Like, the history shows that this is a Mormon practice where we say one thing to the public and Mm -hmm. do something else. In 1890, when Wilford— it's a human practice, too. (laughs) True. (laughs) The Mormons didn't invent it. That's true. Um, We just—we sort of, like, ritualized it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wilford Woodruff, when he issues a manifesto, everyone thought that he was doing that. Like, okay, wink, wink, nod, nod. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to do that. Um, The problem is people think fundamentalists are just off their rockers. They actually have documented history to prove their narrative. John Taylor said he was a Mormon uh, prophet. He Mm -hmm. said the principle will never leave the earth. And he has revelations written in his hand that have now since been discovered, the 1886 revelations where he gives authority to the Woolies, who then start this fundamentalist movement. So these people down there aren't crazy. Now, so uh, uh, it used to be known as Short Creek, and then it became Hilldale, Colorado City. One, and one of the towns is on, actually in just over the border in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Hilldale is uh, Hill in Arizona. Dale is in, uh, or Arizona, sorry. And Hill, Hilldale is in Utah. Uh, that when when that community was started uh, by War, was it started by Warren Jeffs it wasn't. ancestor? Of, uh, um, it was started by a, a Mormon named Larson and the Larson family. Jacob Larson settled there. He wasn't polygamous, but polygamists gathered there. Uh, there's a whole history that we could talk about, mm-hmm. but we don't have time. Uh, Warren, people don't realize it wasn't like how it is now. Warren Jeffs in the last twenty years has turned it into crazy town. Yeah, but really before that, it was. Now, they did build it on the border on purpose. So there's a street that goes uh, down 
the middle of the town, down the middle of Short Creek, called Uzona. It's uh, half Utah. Uzona? Uzona. Half Utah, half Arizona. And they did that on purpose, so when the government would come in, they would just cross Run the over <laughs> yeah. to the other side. It's so fantastic. There's so many cool Smart. things about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they have caves up there that mm-hmm. they used to hide and watch from the government. And, and it, that uh, when it started, it was not necessarily, I mean, it was not a, as you say, it wasn't crazy no. town. It was a, a productive community. It was. They considered they, themselves Latter-day Saints. And in mm-hmm. fact, for years, uh, they would teach their children a rope prayer. And they would face whatever temple, uh, LDS temple was closest, like Mecca. And they would say, like, Lord, we bless that the doors will be open to us someday and your house will be set in order. Because they weren't allowed to go to the temple because they were plural family. And they were, but they considered themselves, they were keep, they were keeping the principle on earth yeah, alive, that and that job. was their sacred job. They right? believe the LDS Church has the keys to sort of keep the lights on and do mm-hmm. the missionary work, bring people into the lower mm-hmm. level, and they were doing uh, the higher law. The fullness of the gospel is what they call it. Mm-hmm. In 1978, when the LDS Church uh, lifted the ban on priesthood for black members and allowed black uh, people into the temples, mm-hmm. many of these fundamentalists saw the temples as corrupt, and um, mm-hmm. the church was now completely out of order, and so some of them... some groups have built their own temples. Um, But, like, the FLDS didn't until Warren Jeffs took over. So the town was just like this idyllic uh, baking pies. They would have harvest festival. It's beautiful scenery down there, too. Just canning. Everything you can think about, like, early rural American Mm -hmm. towns. And Warren Jeffs sort of takes it off its rocker. He he went nuts. What happened? He was the son of... uh, uh, Rulin. Rulin Jeffs, who was... I don't. They, I guess they were a fairly stable community in yeah. Sandy, and then he and but his he wrested power from his father. And so Rulin was LDS. Mm-hmm. He was married to Hubie Brown's daughter, a Mormon apostle. Yeah. Uh, he served a mission for the LDS Church. Was mission companions to Cleon Skousen. Went to high school with Gordon B. Hinckley. Um, gets converted by his dad to fundamentalism. Takes two plural wives and uh, lives in Salt Lake as an accountant. Prominent guy. He starts to get sick. Warren convinces him that the end of the world is going to come during the Olympics when the Olympics comes oh, yeah. to Utah. Mm-hmm. They have everybody sell all their businesses, rack up credit cards, whatever, to move down to Short Creek together and because uh, the end of the world is going to come. So everybody, like, they're really rich uh, polygamous men that sell everything they have and move down there, and they wait for this big day and nothing happens. And, of course... When you have a revelation like that, you got to blame it on the people. So it's yeah. like somebody here was not righteous. You were not righteous enough. Yes. And as he gets more and more sick, Warren was not supposed to His be. His father. Yeah. Rulin uh, gets sick. Uh, Warren was not supposed to be the leader. Um, he convinces a really clever way what he basically does is some people think he poisoned his father some people think he's just neglected him but he cut off all contact and he basically when his father dies he tells everybody he walks out he comes to church and he says my father is not dead he is in me which means basically um he's reincarnated and actually if you look at rulin's funeral service his uh program for his own funeral he's presiding over his own funeral (laughs) as warren (laughs) just it's really interesting And Warren just kind of take. Warren had married his father to a bunch of young women, over ninety nine wives that were underage, so that Warren could take them over when he becomes his father, basically. And that's where he institutes the prairie dresses and the weird rules, and uh, it did, just uh, goes crazy. What do the people down in Short Creek uh, think about it when uh, Rulon or Warren uh, says, "Okay, we're all moving down there"? and what did they think about that? They it, they the, were believing. I mean, most of them believed the it. The people that were already there? Uh, people there and 
It was very difficult to not believe. You know, we were talking about being a Mormon and being a Catholic amongst Mormons and how mm-hmm. you're sort of shunned. There were people that stayed and, you know, fell away from the church or whatever down there, but very few. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you shaped up. You fell in line. Uh, then it all goes to hell eventually, and mm-hmm. you know, we, uh, in the interest of time, when people sort of know a lot of the story, but that uh, 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 Warren Jeffs is uh, you know, he's in jail now, mm-hmm. finally uh, convicted of uh, um, sexually abusing a young woman because he married her when she was 13 or 14. She was 12, yeah. yeah what's, 12. The, what's that great documentary? Prophets Pray. Prophets Pray. It yeah. goes through the, this whole story really well. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but, but. Thing, things have happened, uh, and you're involved in some of this, I know. Uh, things have really happened in that community because all of the uh, resources, all of the money, I think all of the land mm-hmm. was all put into a big trust, the, uh, a big trust, and uh, it's finally all being broken up. Yeah, so and- they live the United Order, and so Warren had everything under what they called the United Effort Plan, the UEP. And when he went crazy, the federal or the state government came and seized it into the trust. They called the UEP trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had a board, and Warren would send people away. And people thought that their families, their children, their homes all belonged to the church. So Warren would come in. He, he would bring him into the office, say, "We, I have discerned that you are a murderer." One guy I talked to was accused of murder because his disabled son died, and he didn't dedicate the body properly. And so he was accused of murdering him. By Warren. By Warren. Sent away, which means excommunicated. So his family is reassigned to another man. His home is reassigned to another man, and he has to leave. So Warren was doing this for for years. And then there's the whole thing of kicking the, the boys out. The boys out. Women the out. Lost boys. All kinds know. of crazy, crazy stuff. So the, the government comes and says, okay, if you were sent away, we now own uh, the property. You can come and petition to get your home back. And so that's what they've been doing. They've been letting people get back. Now, now, right now, there's this big political struggle in the town as the FLDS refuses to pay their property taxes because they're paying it to apostates. And Warren has now made this new rule since he's been in prison that they can't pay property taxes. He's not supposed to be communicating with them. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, that's the, how the Lord's servant works, I guess. Yeah. Um, he, he has made it difficult for them. So they're being evicted from their homes and it's just chaos down there for them. But people that have been sent away are getting their homes back and trying to make the town a legitimate town. Now you've been going down there and doing what helping with the, what's been your role down there? So doing this podcast, I've, gotten to know so many people and there's there's a rescue organization that exists holding out help they do good work they're holding the ones out what? holding out help okay. uh, you can find them if you're interested in helping people be rescued from polygamy uh, or from these communities they go in and find them a home and get them started on their feet they do great work i didn't feel like rescuing was um something that fit what i wanted to do i felt th- seeing the historical problems Uh, The fact that we have marginalized these groups for so long that we pretend that polygamy is not a thing has really given people like Warren Jeffs power. And so my goal is to integrate, um, to make friends with, to be in community with these people. So we start an organization where we just go down and do a service project. We let the town tell us what needs to be done. And we show up with a bunch of people, and we just hang out and do the project, whatever it is. Yeah, and so it's we've been doing it for a few years now, and it's been incredible I think it's actually helping us more than it's helping them. But they have an old town zoo. People don't know that. They had, like, giraffes and a bear. And, um, yeah, it's crazy. But uh, we're now transitioning it to a community nature center. So we go down and uh, 
we're restoring the buildings and we're getting the permits and it's really hard to do things legally there because they're all learning how to be a legitimate town. Mm-hmm. Um, Didn't they finally get rid of the the, 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 the sheriff or the... Sort of. The, the, that he was, he, he's been a real stop, uh, stop gap or, you know, trying to block a lot of this stuff. And yeah, when we first went down there a few years ago, I would go down there and they had what's called the God Squad. They would follow you around in the white cars and film you and I was... You know, someone tried to run me over the dump truck, and the little kids would flip you off. Some of that stuff that was in Big Love—that actually, yeah, is true. oh yeah, it was. Yeah. It was kind of this game. I never felt like I was in danger. It's kind of this funny little game. That doesn't happen anymore. The, the police on both sides in Hilldale and um, Colorado City used to be FLDS. Now the marshal's office in Arizona runs the Colorado City side, and they, while there are polygamists in there, um, they are you know, compliant with the laws. Mm -hmm. The Hilldale side has been FLDS and um, the state has been working on uh, decertifying them. And it's, they're still FLDS police, but now they have to comply to certain laws to keep their jobs. Uh, Same thing with the mayors. Both mayors of each town are FLDS. Mm -hmm. And so they've made it really difficult. So we did our first, uh, one of the towns people wanted to do a protest against the police about three, two or three years ago. And so we helped them organize a protest, the first protest of the town, and we couldn't even get a permit issued because mm-hmm. nobody knew how to do that there. Mm-hmm. So it's the struggle is happening. It's slow. It's m- super messy. Um, there's a lot of hurt feelings. Do you, still, do you go down there on a regular basis? Yeah, I go down at least once a month. It's sort of become... I, I recognize I'm an outsider there, so I don't want to, you know you know, commodify sort of it as like Mm -hmm. polygamous tourism or something, but they really, there are people that understand what it's like to be different. And I, and I kind of understand that in my own faith community. And, you know, I can't go change my church and have my brethren be more compassionate to people that lose their faith, but I can go fix a zoo, you know? And I feel like that, that they have allowed me to do that. And they know what it's like to have your leadership be difficult to work with. And we have so much in common, and we have shared ancestors, so it's just, they've become family to me. Um, Can people go help out Mm -hmm. uh, if they want to join you doing that kind of thing? Yeah, so you don't have to join us to help out. I would recommend that everyone goes through the town. They need tourism dollars. They have businesses and restaurants. They are friendly to people. They -hmm. are friendly to outsiders. They are friendly to outsiders. Um, So many stereotypes have been broken. Uh, You can support the FLDS specifically. They need help right now. they have the dairy store. You can go in and shop in their dairy store. You can go to the Mary Wives Cafe owned by Centennial Park Polygamous. Um, Mary Wives. It's fantastic. It's great uh, sweet potato fries. Uh, they have hardware stores. And, um, we we have been staying in Warren Jeff's home. It was give it was seized by the trust and given back to one of his wives that escaped, uh, Brielle Decker. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we go to town, we rent that from her. And we get the whole place to ourselves. She doesn't. She doesn't live there. She no, she does. It's, it's going to be up in the air. I don't know what's going to happen to that property. It's a it's, huge house, isn't it? It's a compound. Yeah. So there's like three homes on the property, but there's a the America's Most Wanted Bed and Breakfast was a home that Warren never lived in, but was built for him. It's considered a sacred site for the FLDS people, and it's now a bed and breakfast. So you can. There's a hotel in town. It's called America's Most Wanted Wanted Bed and Breakfast. It looks like an LDS church inside. It's a little strange. Really. But uh, you can stay there, and I'm telling you, it's the backside of Zion's Canyon, some of the most beautiful hidden yeah. red rock narrows that you'll ever experience. I've just seen pictures, and it's there are some gorgeous places. It's there. 
it's really the funnest place to go. You can go see the cemetery. You can see Rulin uh, Jeff's grave, which is very interesting. And you can see the caves up in the mountains where they would hide from the government. And so that's the first thing I would tell people. Stop being afraid. Uh, don't take your cameras out and take pictures of little FLDS kids. Just go talk to people. Uh, don't treat them like a zoo, right? They're not a zoo. Yeah. And so um, that's the first thing. You can join us at thefernfoundation.org. We go down every spring and fall and do this activity. And in the fall, we're going to do a big uh, rec day, uh, like soccer camps and um, fun runs and uh, frisbee golf and things like that with the community. So. And then in April, we're going to work on the Nature Center again. What do you think the future is of uh, FLDS? And, uh, you know, because I know there's a big community up in Canada. Mm-hmm. They're having legal problems now as well. Uh, is a Barlow ahead of that, I think? Blackmore. Uh, oh, Blackmore, that's right. Uh, there's still people in um, Waco or uh, Waco? Uh, El Paso, where where the you know the that was actually seized. Yearn, they've moved everyone for Zion. Yeah, they've moved everyone now to South Dakota. That's the big compound for the FLDS is in South Dakota. And nobody's in that yearning for Zion. No, thing that was uh, seized by the government. They're trying to auction it off. Mm-hmm. That was where their temple was built, and that's where Warren uh, has tapes of abusing the twelve-year-old girl. So. And that was a, that was a horrible. That was handled so badly by the mm-hmm. Texas authorities. Well, we'll just go take all the kids, you know. This is the problem. And, and, this uh, is the problem we have in Utah. This is why, you know, Warren just couldn't get a conviction here in, in Utah. Utahns and Mormons are so afraid of the idea of being tied to polygamy. Nobody wants to talk about it. We don't want to acknowledge it. We want to pretend like it doesn't exist. And that is the reason why we're in this mess. Well, and that's it's also the reason why people from other parts of the country... When they see all of this stuff, because it is sensational with Warren Jeffs or, or Mr. Blackmore up in Canada, they think, well, that's the Mormons. Yeah. That's the Mormons. Well, and in a way, it is. they are Mormons. I mean, they, they read our same scriptures. They read our same hymn books. They follow our, our same doctrine. But it's, it's, not the, it's not what you... It's, it's not, not Salt LDS. Lake City. It's exactly. not the LDS Church. It's, but, I mean... It's it's our history. Like, we're not going to get away from it. And there's such a shame around it from, I mean, people in my own family, based on what I do, can't talk to me about what I do. They can't say the word polygamy. It's just such a deep embarrassment to them. And and I have just, you know, here's the other thing. I've met so many plural families who are happy. You know, polygamy solves some things that monogamy doesn't. Um, and monogamy has problems that polygamy doesn't. And polygamy has problems and monogamy does. It's complicated. And that's what I've learned is um, families, people are different. They're, they're difficult and lovely and beautiful and complicated. And I know plural families who are just as healthy and well-adjusted as monogamous families. I mean, I guess I would always say that if, if, there, are, if there are people enjoined in a consensual mm-hmm situation like that you know if you're not marrying 12 year old girls and doing all that crazy when you're mormon because you you grow up in it so you don't know any different but i'm telling you this this is the thing um when people get out of these communities people want to say it's polygamy um so if you're being abused by your family and you escape the flds People will say, oh, it's polygamy. And and these people that leave the communities learn to distrust us because they know those the, the tropes about plural families aren't true. They love their mothers. They have multiple mm-hmm. mothers. They love it. And for them, that wasn't the issue. Now, we can talk about the patriarchy and systemic issues and things like that. I'm, not, I'm in no way defending the lifestyle, but I'm just saying it's not 
it's not a weapon we need to beat people up with anymore mm. because it's it's just it's not what we think it is. Um, it's is it it's never going to go away, is it? I don't think so. No, at least not around here. It's not. There will always be Kingston. I will and, tell you this about Mormon doctrine: it is so heady and um, seductive that. <laughs> Get rid of one prophet and another one pops up somewhere else. I mean, we have. Pro- I, I can't tell you how many prophets I've met. I hang well, out with prophets all the time. There's that. There's that guy up in San, San Pete County, up in uh, Ephraim, or yeah, we've got that, um, the, that crazy guy up there. The, the Manti group, the TLC, Manti, yeah, True and Living what, Church. Yeah, yeah. Um, these are all people that I've learned to get along with, and uh, Salt Lake has plenty of them. Oh, I'm sorry that I said he was a crazy guy, but well, he's a he's, he's a, a little out there. Abusive, abusive uh, would be the term. How, do you ever feel uh, uh, when you when you spend a little time with these people? Do you ever feel threatened or worried? Or I did for a few years. Um, so our house was vandalized. We got like our windows broken and our sprinklers cut, and we actually moved because of it. That was really scary for me. And, but I just have a different perspective now. Um, I feel like fear. I, I approached it with fear. I approached it with like the shield that I needed to protect myself. Mm-hmm. And now I've sort of pivoted and. And I say, you know what? I'm not going to protect myself. I'm just going to sort of, this is very Mormon, but like let my light shine out. Um, so we just go and we just bring who we are and let it shine out. Uh, we're not trying to convert anyone. Um, there's a lot of that going on, Christian organizations trying to save people. And when you've been bruised by religion, converting people is not the answer. Uh, we're just going and trying to meet people where they're at and hear their stories. Uh, uh, quickly, we'll wrap this up. Just a couple of quick kind of uh, just your speculation on things uh, in the future of the LDS Church, uh, because you are so involved in mm-hmm. the history and in what goes on today. Uh, uh, will the position on uh, LGBTQ people ever change? Well, the history would say that it would, because uh you have people that think that black people would never be ordained. I mean, that is something that is probably the worst thing that you could do to a lot of people. I, the fact that um, polygamy was done away with, people thought would never, ever happen. Prophets mm-hmm. said it would never be taken from the earth. So, yeah, history would say that it is. Uh, my issue is how many lives are going to be lost in the process. And as we know, uh, Utah youth suicides are a big deal. I've known countless people now who have taken their lives since I've been doing this work. Um, it's, it's not right. It's not okay. And so this is what I would ask every listener to do. You can be part of this by disrupting the narrative of what Mormon is. Mormon doesn't just mean LDS. Um, as we know, there's all kinds of Mormons, but that also means LGBT Mormons. That means there are feminist Mormons and, uh, Mormons of color and, um, trans Mormons and all kinds of things. And there's, our tagline at Sunstone is "There's more than one way to be a Mormon," and, and try and try to. Uh, I mean, I've I've never really heard this distinction before, but try and if you're listening wrap your head around kind of this idea. There's a difference between, uh, as you have kind of laid out, being a Mormon and being a member of the LDS Church. Yeah, uh, the Mormon movement is bigger than the LDS Church. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no such thing as the original Joseph Church anymore. It's mm-hmm. broken off. And if you know the history of how Brigham Young got authority, it's very complicated. Yeah, yeah. It's similar to how uh, you know. Ruland Jeffs claims authority from the Council of Friends. So uh, there's not, history is complicated and it's disruptive. And to me, that's exciting. It's exciting to break down what you know. But yeah, the LDS Church is just one part of the Mormon movement. Will the patriarchy uh, patriarchy ever crumble a little bit and uh, women 
would be able to do ordinations in in the LDS Church? I don't know. I think it's Mormonism is very based on the patriarchal order, um, and it has damaging effects to a lot of men and women. I I, I don't know. I don't. I don't have a lot of hope there for it. I think it's unwise of them. I think if they take their own theology at its word, which is uh, continuing revelation, there's flexibility for that. But Should be, yeah. I don't. I don't see that happening, unfortunately. Um, if people want to find out, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground, and yeah. uh, and but there's still so so many things to look at, and so much. Um, where do you recommend people start, and how can they join you and um, so, some of your sites and all of that? Just Thanks. Uh, your polygamy covers the history of Mormon plural marriage. I would encourage everybody, every Utah needs to listen to it. from the. Be- it's meant to go in order from episode one all the way into the future. It really doesn't, really don't hit my stride till episode 38, just so you all know. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> but that's when I started knowing what I was doing. Um, if we can understand the history, just at least reckoning with that and wrestling with it a little bit that's that's the first step um if you feel like you want to claim your mormon identity i don't i don't buy this mormon ex mormon nonsense i feel like that's a hierarchical narrative that doesn't really serve anyone but the hierarchy um so i say claim mormonism whether you smoke or drink or sleep around or you're lgbt or you're active you got to be mormon mormonism is bigger than the lds church so you're telling me that i mean i don't I don't smoke and I don't sleep around, but uh, anymore. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no judgment if you did. This yeah. is a safe space. But uh, uh, so you're telling me because I've never been uh, excommunicated from the church, yeah. and I also have never really seen any need to uh, have myself removed from right. the others. I mean, I don't. I consider it, you Mormon. It does. So you're telling me I'm a Mormon. I am. I mean, you get to identify however you want, and if certainly some people mm. need. To be ex-Mormon, it's a helpful distinction to them. Ex-Mormon is still Mormon. Um, it's just with a you, new little, few you, extra letters. Can you be an atheist and be a Mormon? Of course, uh, yeah. This is, so it's becoming, it's becoming more like, it's, the way you describe it, it's more like Buddhism. Yeah, you know? Mormonism is an identity. I yeah. mean, we come from, in the, in the 19th century, we were considered a race of people by the outside world. They compared us to slaves. We were the twin barbarism. And Paul Reeves has written a great book on this comparison. I'm not just pulling this out of nowhere. Um we're, we are more than just a belief system. And, you know, the LDS church, I, did, I, you know, call them that. That is a belief system. It's a membership, which I am a part of. But that doesn't, it doesn't make me not Mormon or Mormon. Mormonism is bigger. Something else. Yeah. You know, something deeper. Yeah. Um, and so people, uh, uh, so follow the um, uh, podcast, A Year of Polygamy. Mm-hmm. Dot. Which I, I, have a, I have a problem with the name. I think if it's a year of polygamy, <laughs> you should have stopped after a year. I know. I, everyone gives me It should have been a second that. year of polygamy. Listen, mm-hmm. I figure we're under 365 episodes. We're good. Okay. Uh, See? Yeah, I mean, do that. One for every day sure. of the year. Sure, do that. Okay. And, I, I, and I buy that. If I get to 365 episodes of polygamy, something's wrong well, there, with me. There are a lot. How many are there? We're on episode 120, 130. Oh, you'll get. You'll do it. Yeah, you'll maybe. Do, There's do, a lot of good stories out there. Yeah. And then uh, also Sunstone Institute. Sunstone.org. And our our conference is at the University of Utah, July 26th through 29th. Um, 150 presentations with every kind of Mormon you could ever imagine. Denver Snuffer, who's you know leading this new movement in the LDS Church, this break-off group is going to be there. We have fundamentalist Mormons and gay Mormons and famous Mormons and... Mm-hmm. 
everything. Like it's it's way cool. Yeah. So it's kind of Mormon and, con. And, and people who don't know, Sunstone is uh, just it's it's a uh, big from the temple in Nauvoo, right? Mm-hmm. A big uh, piece of stone with a sun on it. Yeah, it's part of the icon iconography of the temple. Does it so. still is it still around? It is the original in, sunstone. Um, yeah, it is. The Smithsonian has one I of the. I saw it. I saw it last you? summer. Yay. Yeah, my, my mom had to explain to me what it was, but I, I saw it. That's your pioneer people speaking mm-hmm. to you, Dylan. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Lindsay Hanson Park, thank you. Yeah, thank you, guys. I, it's always nice to talk to you. Yeah, thanks I mean, for having me. It's it's stimulating and uh, pleasant. And, uh, oh, thanks. You're, you're thanks for welcome. lunch, too. It's fantastic. Yeah, sure. uh, yeah, here at Stanza, it was very good. Uh, order the, uh, uh, the, pa- the Linguini Diavolo. Which is the? It's interesting that you picked that because it is the, it's the pasta of the devil. Yeah, well there you Diavolo. go. Diavolo. Uh, and, that's what happens. Uh, that's what happens when I, you go to Sunstone. You think? <laughs> and then uh, also, I had the chicken salad uh, sandwich, which was just chicken. Well, that was great. That was great. Yeah, it's beautiful so, here. Uh, thanks to uh, Hillary Merrill and uh, all the folks here at Stanza. Thanks to Dylan Allred for producing. Uh, the Let's Go Eat Show podcast. Mm-hmm. and You're welcome. Throwing in some good questions. And, I'm trying. And um, I guess that's it. I'm Bill Allred. And remember, if you're pouring the drinks, always make mine a double. Can you be a drinking Mormon? Yes, you can. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Broadway Media Podcast Network. 